Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. I'm Jason Zone Fisher, and we have a very special episode in store for you here today. 2020 has been uh, a challenging year for all of us, and we've talked a lot about it here on the podcast. And the basketball world suffered another great loss recently as Brent B.J. Johnson passed away tragically. He was a longtime scout for the Houston Rockets uh, beginning back in the 94-95 championship season. He spent 26 years as a personnel scout for Houston uh, but he spent his entire life in and around the game of basketball. And it's someone that grew up with you, Ralph, uh, in, in Virginia. Yeah, I grew up two doors down. And, um, I mean, phenomenal person, friend, brother from another mother, everybody would say. Mm-hmm. Great, great just person. You'll see this on this show and how really good he is as a person, not just a scout or a basketball player, but a human being. So I'm excited about our guest today, and uh, I, I remember them all well uh, throughout my life and career. But they have some more inside stories and more stories than I have, but it's good to hear those guys, and it'll be good to hear their voices and their opinion about B.J. Johnson. So I'm ready to get this on. I'm excited. It's a tribute to B.J. and his legacy and who he is. Yeah, there's been a tremendous outpouring of love and recognition for BJ since the news spread across the basketball world of his passing. Uh, We've heard from current NBA stars like Trey Young, Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Crawford, former players. Uh, Ralph, I know you've, you know, spoken out about this. Uh, It's a news that really was devastating and, and shocking to the basketball community. And he's someone that, you know, the basketball world has lost so many this year. Kobe Bryant and David Stern, uh, John Thompson, a lot of big names. B.J. Johnson isn't maybe a recognizable name, but he's the type of person that if you knew who he was, you loved this man, uh, you felt his presence, and anyone who had the privilege of getting to meet him really they they knew him and and really was devastated by this loss so i'm excited to get to know more about who bj johnson was the person the man uh from some of the people who knew him the best like yourself ralph and and we've got some great guests lined up here today actually it's going to be a little bit different we're going to do a a forum today we have former coaches of bj's former childhood friends uh we've got some some legends uh from the basketball world 
uh, in the collegiate world who knew BJ for, for decades and decades to share some of their thoughts and fondest memories about him. Um, this is a man who, as you said, you know, grew up just a few houses down from you in Virginia, uh, went on to play college basketball, play overseas, became a, a scout for the Rockets. And he also, he mentored so many and gave back. He attended every Basketball Without Borders camp in Africa since 2005. So 15 years straight, serving as a coach, a counselor to thousands of players all over Africa. He loved that. He loved giving back to the game that gave so much to him. Yeah, he loved going to Africa. I mean, I would see his mom at the beauty salon and this, that, and the other. And he would say, yo, your guy's over in Africa. I mean, every time I see him in Africa. <laughs> but they loved him over there. And uh, it's amazing, amazing to see people like a Trey Young, but also old school guys know who BJ is and young guys. So he trans transformed basically the world of basketball from a scout standpoint because he knows everybody and everybody knows him and loves him. So let's get this party started. All right. Among the most respected and beloved in the basketball community, BJ Johnson, a special tribute to him coming up right now. Well, Ralph, we talk about it all the time. 2020 has been just a really difficult year for all of us around the world. And in the basketball community, we've lost so many legends this year from David Stern, Kobe Bryant, John Thompson, Lou Dolson, Jerry Sloan, Wes Unseld, Clifford Robinson, Curly Neal. I could go on and on. The list is imaginable. The losses that the basketball world has suffered. And this past week, we suffered another tragic loss. Uh, the great Brent B.J. Johnson, who passed away at age 65 in a, a horrible accident. And he's someone who has uh, been the outpouring of support and, and love and recognition for him has been really overwhelming. He's the type of person that if you met him once, it was like you knew him forever. Uh, one of the most genuine, sincere, respected, and loved members of the basketball community. And he's someone that so many people have wanted to express their gratitude towards. So we have an incredible lineup of people here today who want to share their thoughts. And I'll quickly do a, an introduction and then hand it over to Ralph for, for you to share some of your thoughts and, and get the conversation started. But we're honored to be joined today by Charlie Thomas, who grew up with BJ in Harrisonburg, went on to play at Virginia Tech and lead them to the 1973 NIT championship and had a, a long coaching career as well. We've got a lot of coaches today. We got coach Mac McCarthy in the house, who spent over 19 years as a college basketball head coach at East Carolina University, the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, the VCU Rams. Uh, also recently wrote a new book, uh, talks about recruiting Charles Barkley and coaching alongside coach Sonny Smith, who joins us today as well. Uh, 22 years as a head coach uh, at University of Auburn, East Tennessee State, VCU, a member of the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. We have Coach Jim Hallahan, former head coach at East Tennessee State University and assistant coach at Iowa State University. Coach John Averett is here, former director of basketball operations at the University of Richmond and spent 21 years as a senior sports marketing manager at Converse. Uh, and another Virginia native. And we have Brad Lewis, who's a, a very good friend of BJ, grew up with him and the family. Uh, a lot of ties to Virginia, a lot of 
folks here today who basketball is the common thread that brought us all together. But the most common thread here is our love, respect, and admiration for the great BJ. Ralph, I, I know that you knew BJ your entire life. You grew up next to him. Why don't you kick off this conversation uh, with all of these uh, distinguished guests and gentlemen who are here today uh, and share some of your fondest memories uh, and thoughts on BJ? Yeah, thanks, Jason, for that uh, great introduction. Uh, BJ Johnson, definitely um, a special guy to all of us. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna get right in it, and uh, because it's, uh, you know, it's kind of helping. I think everybody understand the person that he that he is. I can't say was. I gotta say is because he still exists in my world. But I'm gonna go to Charlie. I mean, we grew up, you know. I mean, from Howard Stevens to Charlie Thomas to BJ to. Calvin Doodle Ring, all, all the ones we know. We we had a great little little thing going on in, in Harrisonburg. So Charlie was a one of, one of the first guys that obviously went to the opposing school. He didn't go to Virginia. He went to mm -hmm. Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia wasn't that good enough for him at that point in time. But Charlie, tell tell the guys here. I mean, your memories of growing up in Harrisonburg. I mean, it's I mean, it's still the same street, same town. It's a little different now with the people, but it, for us, it's a special place. Right. Um, there was a special place and. All the guys that grew up there, you know, it was it was it was it was so special in terms of how everybody knew everybody, how everybody played, you know, together. You know, we had the older guys always taking advantage of us because we were just younger. You know, how that yep, yep, yep. you know, and we'd always go up to Sim School, where you had the you know the park up there, and we play. You know, at the time when I was young, you know, there was Charlie Bird. There was some other guys up there that you know, used to beat me down. And I wasn't worth a nickel, you know, compared mm -hmm. to some of those guys at the time. You know, it's like then BJ came along and I was older then. And you beat down BJ. You know? <laughs> and then Ralph came along and you beat And they Ralph, beat me down. You know? They beat me down. So <laughs> I got to beat down. But the thing yeah. about it is it, it brought you, it made you a better player because you were not to their level at the time, but you were so, um, you were so beat and made you just keep coming back. I'm, keep, I'm coming back. I'm, I'm not gonna stop playing, you know? You, you can beat me down all you want, I'm coming back. It just made you better and better and better. And DJ and yourself, Ralph, became great players. And, you know, like, I was like, like it, was, it was one of those things where you just, Everybody there, Howard Stevens, you know, Doodle, Jimmy, uh, Howard Bird, uh, uh, Raymond Williams, Calvin Williams. I mean, it, it, this goes on and on and on. There were some great players coming out of that area. And um, I just say BJ was one of the guys who he wanted to be a great player, and he was. But, you know, um, he just, he's just hard to talk about because he, he, was a, he was always a good guy. No matter what happened, he was always a good guy. And that's probably the best thing I can say about BJ. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, I, I, I got those beat downs as well. I mean, we would play and, and the lights would go off. Yep. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a you know, young, young buck up there. I'm trying to play. You play on the, on the second court, get some shots up. You got to stay next because if you lose, you're going to go home. That's right. Right. That's right. So I finally got in the games, you know, late. And the lights go off at nine. I get in the game. We go on eleven. We get to seven. Everybody quits. Yeah. And then they go home. I'm like y'all, y'all tired now. So it was a you know a good time outdoor. The courts were there. We had maybe three courts somewhere. Remember the old green basketball court yeah. there? It was a basket with a chain on it. Chain, that was raggedy. Chain, yes. 
Yeah, but it was, it was in a, it was in asphalt. So, coach, you know, we the kids don't play in asphalt today, right? They just want to play in the gym where it's nice. We play in the asphalt and the dirt courts. Remember, up in uh, the playground, they had a dirt court right. with a chain on. Right. The basket. I played there every day. So, well, let me we let me, let me uh, interrupt one time, Ralph. Um, Brad Lewis will probably remember this basketball camp, Eastern Midnight College. Okay, yeah. Brent. Brent is basically a counselor. Brad basically is my assistant. And Ralph is 15 years old. They ran me to death, man. Six, they had, six, had no balls, six, no baskets. Six, just ran. Six foot <laughs> six, 15 years old. And I'm going to be honest, couldn't play a lick. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't play a lick. So we didn't have any basketball. So BJ, we, they had no balls. BJ says, <laughs> BJ says, run him to death. We yeah, got to yeah. make him a good player. I said, okay, BJ. And they did. So then they Ralph did. says, I'm done. I'm done. Ralph goes home on Wednesday. Mrs. True story. Aunt Sarah brings him back. BJ says, we got him now. We got him now. <laughs> and then on Friday, I told B, I told Ralph, I said, Ralph, just work on what we taught you in, in camp. You'll be one of the greatest ever. And look what happened. Yeah. I remember that well. I remember we got that well. They ran my tongue out, coaches. You know how to use the suicide. So we just ran. Right here. Oh, I it was fun. I whistle for 24 hours a day. <laughs> they say and go. You know, get on the line and go. Yep. Exactly. So, 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 Brad, you, you know, you've been around for a while with BJ and, and the family. And, I mean, how do you meet BJ? I mean, how did that come across to me? Because, you know, I, I know your name. We talked many, many times. But how do you meet BJ and – and, and, and how did it all start? The scariest uh, story I can tell you is the fact that Charlie introduced me. Okay. Uh, one night we were sitting at Charlie's brother's house in Harrisonburg. Talking, playing cards, doing whatever. And this guy came in the house in a green fatigue jacket, running his mouth, did not stop running his mouth. And I turned to Charlie. I said, how drunk is he? He said, I never had a drunk in life. And that's BJ. I still hadn't had one. No, so. Still to this day. Yeah. But BJ, Charlie, and I got to be pretty close over the next few years. In fact, 1982, I believe it was, I was coaching at GW. And I had tickets to the Final Four. And I picked BJ up at the D.C. Armory after the last Bucketeers game and said, we're going to New Orleans. And spent the next two and a half, two days getting there and then half a day trying to find you, Ralph. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I got some award down there or whatever when you guys came. Yeah, and you had the hotel room paid for, so it was even better. Um, there you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, there you go. I took BJ up to uh, Boston Celtics rookie camp one year, first time. And he and Coach Auerbach just hit it off like you wouldn't believe, which is not surprising. Because BJ, when he wasn't running with the rookies and free agents, was working with the kids. And his Camp Millbrook was 300 kids, you know, running around just to say they saw Red Auerbach smoke a cigar. And uh, the next year, I drove back up to camp. And the first I ran into Red, the first thing I got there, he said, where's BJ? I said, Coach, I, you didn't tell me to bring him. He said, get him on the phone. Yeah. I said, hmm. all right. 
So I got to be on the phone. Red gets it. Red takes the phone away from me. Says, what airport are you closest to? And I think it was DC at the time. He says, there's a plane ticket waiting for you. Get your ass up here now. And BJ was on the next plane running with Larry Bird's rookie year. There you go. Was just unbelievable that they developed a lifelong friendship uh, for both of them. But the last story I can tell on the Celtics and BJ side, real quick, is that same year that B was up there, Coach Auerbach said he was going to give us a ride to the airport. And my family and Coach Auerbach were very close friends. So I'd been in the car with him before, and I knew that was something you did not want to do was ever get let him drive anywhere. <laughs> so he tells BJ he's going to take us to the airport. And I said, B, you get up front with Coach. And he goes, okay. And I'm hiding in the back seat, underneath the seat. I don't want to watch what's going on. Red's driving 90 miles an hour on the shoulder. He passed three police cars, got pulled over. Policeman, police officer walks up to the up to his window. He lowers it sees who it is and the cops start stuttering coach i'm sorry i I didn't mean to pull you over he says where are you going he says there but we end up getting an escort to the airport and we finally got there bj fell out of the front seat and kissed the ground (laughs) don't ever do that to me again (laughs) those are just a couple of the many stories on b yeah he always brought up that uh story when we talked basketball as you we all know B love to talk and love hand motions. And, you know, I mean, this, it, it kind of goes, right. But uh, we always talk about, he always shares that meeting with Coach Arback and you and just the stories kind of go on and on and on. So he always mentions that, uh, like I said, when we talk or talked about it, we reminisce and go to final fours or the Houston games or whatever. He brings up those stories all day long, which is great. We heard a story on, uh, on Sunday about the heavy rope and all that kind of stuff because he always carried the heavy rope with him, the 10-pound rope. And I, I watched that the life in the 83 and, and B was with me as well in Houston from that standpoint as well. But I'm going to shift it to the coaches here and say, okay, we got all the coaches, Coach Sonny Smith. How did he get to East Tennessee? I mean, I know he went to Ferrum, right? But how did he get to East Tennessee? And yeah, I, I know there's some coaching stories here because I know it's a lot here. So it's a lot of history and a lot of years, but I'm let it, I'm just going to turn you guys loose because I can't, you know, if, if, if coach is on here, just let you guys go, right? So how do you get from there, East Firm? And we talked about being in uh, the up there with Larry Bird this first year, but everything in between there from Harrisonburg High School to Firm College to East Tennessee State. Coach Sonny Smith. Did you recruit, recruit Hallahan, did you, did you, did you recruit him or did Coach Smith recruit him? Well, that was a that was a big thing for Sonny. He, we were looking for players, and and uh, he knew about him and Luke Beanie. And uh, I don't know if Mac went with him up there or not, but he, I got to give Sonny the credit for that. That's about the only thing I can <laughs> I had a seat on the uh, bus that Ferrum Junior College drove when they were going to a game. I was on that bus, so <laughs> Ferrum Junior College was like a a pipeline for us to look for players. And it was a great place to look. I can tell you that. And one of them sitting there right now knows that more than one, actually two, three, but BJ, I've I've been, I coached for 47 years. My favorite player as an assistant 
is on with us, Charlie Thomas. He was my favorite. My favorite assistants in my life are on here with us today. My favorite player of all times was VJ. There was, I didn't even, I didn't, when, when he talked about doing this, I didn't even have to think. Who was the best player that ever played, uh, the best guy for me that I ever coached as a head coach? And VJ would have been that person. And then he was, he was so good that I had in him, in my mind that I don't believe he can make it in the NBA, but I'm going to really try to get him there. And so, Ralph, you can attest to this. Dale Harris was my teammate in college, best man of my wedding, and I was the best man of his. We talked about him earlier today. We sent BJ to Houston uh, Ralph, would you say as a tryout or just a visit? I, I cannot remember. You took him basically. Yeah, I, I took him there, and uh, he, he we, by rookie season, and he stayed until the last cut. Yeah, and uh, Jim Hallahan is with us. I think we sent Cat Watson also, didn't we, Jim? If we didn't, I'm sure that was us. <laughs> no, Cat. Cat went too, I, I think, and. And that uh, that got us started 25 years with the uh, Houston Rockets. But, hey, 47 years of coaching, this is my eighth, eighth player to die this year. Oh, well. It's been an unbelievably bad year from, from that aspect. And one right now is right on the door with ALS. But – I want I want you guys to make this fun because I, I'm I'm not a real emotional person, but this one bothered me probably as at players of the of the these and he's he was a one that was the farthest away from a time standpoint. Uh, what I don't even know the exact year that we were at East Tennessee State, but I can tell you this: I never ever forgot who I would offer a scholarship first at the position he played, and it was B.J. I never saw anybody that was any any better player to coach. I can – Jim can tell you, and Mac can tell you, that I was kind of hard on players. I don't believe – Jim Jim can – he can pipe in a Hank ref. I don't think I ever got on B.J. I don't think I ever had to. Uh, he was a born leader – as long as being one of the funnest people you ever met to go along with that. And we had a kid, I'm going to get into, we had a kid on the team that was a bad guy. And BJ almost just like took him under control and kept him till we got a pretty good year out of the guy. And it was, uh, his, he was like having a coach on the floor. He's like having one of your friends on the floor with you. And the thing about it, you didn't have to go to your assistants and say, you know, try to get BJ straightened out. Try to get BJ doing this. BJ would be the guy that Jim Hallahan would go to to get things done with the rest of the players. And Jim Jim can attest to that. And and Mac also. Uh, he's if I had to list my favorites, I'd have to start with him. Now, uh, the other thing. 
he came to visit us every year that I was coaching someplace. And I'll never forget that. He's Jan's favorite player. Uh, actually, Jan's favorite player is right there right now, our, our former babysitter, <laughs> Charlie Thomas. Charlie <laughs> Thomas. Charlie Thomas not only a great, great player, I never saw him turn the ball over ever. I, I, I might not have a memory, but, but Charlie was our babysitter. Our, our kids, if we went anywhere, Charlie was the guy that took care of the kids. And he had he had a great relationship with them. It's, uh, it's so good to be on this. Now, hey, my memory might come back a little bit from time to time as we go here, but Mac and Jim can turn you on to the things that I'll forget. But one thing I'll never forget, he was my favorite player as a head coach. Charlie was my favorite player as assistant coach. So we should have a good time to listen to you guys today. <laughs> hey, Ralph, you're a good player. You just went to the wrong school. I went to the wrong school, Coach. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Man, hey, coach, hey, man, I, was talking, I was talking to Coach Hallahan the other day. He, 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 NCAA rules. We'll get to that in a second. I went to the wrong school for sure. Well, if you don't want the rules broken, I would have done it, Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, heard hey, that. I think about that street in, in Harrisonburg. And if I remember right, Charlie was up above you there a little bit on the corner, and you yep. were down like in the middle of the street or, or, or maybe toward the end. I cannot remember where J BJ's house was, and, and I was up there a lot. Then. He's in the middle. Harrisonburg. Yeah. You, if you're going to get a player, you better go to Harrisonburg because they were there. Yeah, they were there. I was. We were three doors down growing up, and then my grandmother was uh, two, a couple doors down, and we ended up moving that house at, when I was in high school. But – Literally, BJ and I were three doors away from each other, and Charlie was, like I said, right around the corner. Right. Coach Allen, you, you, he mentioned NCAA rules. You said we broke some when we, when we, you know. So BJ took me to East Tennessee, right? I mean, you know, Charlie, let's just go down here and hang out, and, you know, go down and hang out and just play, and then you know, we'll work out. So I'm gonna give it to Coach Allen. We talked about that the other day, but your memories of BJ and that, at least that experience, because uh, you brought something to light that I didn't even know about at that point in time. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. The first thing I, I'd like to say uh, for his family, you know, it's a very strong Christian family. And uh, whew, we just thank God that we had him. Yes. He was awesome. That's great, he was yes. It's Sonny. Sonny, the only bad mistake he made, he tried to make BJ a point guard the first year. That's right. And, uh, we now watching, so we're playing in the old gym, uh, uh, Brooks Gymnasium, and they got this big wooden sign across the stage that there's the East Tennessee State University or whatever. BJ threw a pass, supposed to go to somebody, and went right through that sign. And I said, Sonny, I don't, I don't think he's going to be a point guard. We got to find him. <laughs> so we brought Cat Watson in, and uh, those two guys, I'm going to tell you what, if I had to pick – and I was in coach a long time, too. There were four sets of guards, Charlie and uh, Thomas and Bobby Stevens, yep. and Watson and BJ, and then a couple sets of guards at Iowa State. And, man, uh, they were so dominant because they were so good on defense, too. It wasn't, it wasn't just about offense. They were so good on defense. So one night we are playing in Western Kentucky, and you got to remember back then we were in the OVC, not the Southern Conference. And East Tennessee hadn't been relevant for a long time. And we're playing for a chance for a tie in the conference for the championship. And it's a heck of a game. We got 9,300 people in the Dome, which was about 9,000 more than they'd had before. BJ <laughs> uh, gets fouled at the end of the game. And if he misses the free throw, it's over. We, we lose the game. 
So Sonny and I, we're, we're rubbing our hands and we're all worried. And BJ's down at our end because we watched their offensive in second half. And he looks over to us and he gets that big, you all know it, that big smile. And he winks. He winks at us and he knocks them both down. <laughs> <laughs> That's, how, that's true. What a, what a great person. In fact, he's the only guy we ever let sleep in the locker room during meetings. Front <laughs> row. And we'd be going over the scouting report, and he'd be like this. And we only got on him once, and I told Sonny, I said, Sonny, he's fine. Just let him get some extra rest because he, he's going to go out there and guard whoever we want him to guard, and he's going to be great. So we just we let him sleep through those meetings. And then, of course, when he got uh, – after he played for me a year – then he came, he came on as an undergrad grad assistant. And uh, he said, Coach, I think I can get Ralph Sampson come down here. And I said, No, <laughs> you can't get Ralph Sampson, East Tennessee State. Yeah, I get him. I get him. Now, this is how good the coach he would have been had he chosen to stay as a recruiter. So lo and behold, here he comes. And there's Ralph Sampson. We go to the best hotel room in downtown uh, uh, Johnson City. I think it had a spiral staircase or something. It, it did. Yeah. <laughs> And so then Ralph comes over to the gym. We got that dome and we got a practice gym on the end and him and BJ and a bunch of guys are playing. I'm up on the top looking down and up walks our athletic director, old Madison Brooks. And he's about 107 then. <laughs> he says, you're not supposed to be doing that. You're not supposed to be trying out a player. I said, coach, you think we're trying out that guy? <laughs> you think we got to try out Ralph Sampson? He turned around, went back to his office, and called the NCAA and turned us in. <laughs> I tried to blame it on Sonny. That's, a, uh, hey, that's the only honest thing ever happened there that year. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, uh, he was unbelievable as a player. Just like Sonny said, every time he came out this way, he made sure as he was going to scout somebody from Iowa State, he'd come to the house. I'd take him over and, and see my daughters. In fact, Ralph won't remember this. But the time he visited East Tennessee State, I just had one little girl at that time, Jennifer, and she was just a baby. And we have a picture of Ralph sitting at our dining room table holding her, and she looked about that big in his hands. And uh, she remembered that. She was here the other day. She's 42 now. And so but, – but BJ just put everybody together. He brought everybody together. Um, he, he just always was in a good mood, a positive, a great Tristan young man. Um I just can't, like Sonny, I can't say enough about him. I just can't. Not me either. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's some time there. I'll, I'll get to in a second, but we all feel the same way, you know, and, and, and Charlie knows, and I know, I know we grew up in a special place in Harrisonburg, Virginia. I mean, Charlie knows, I know, if we did something wrong, your parents, friend, or Charlie's mom, or Charlie's dad would beat you before your mom and dad beat you. Uh, and then when you got home, you got, you got another beating. So you did something wrong with school. We got around the neighborhood, and then and the neighborhood would, would beat you before your parents got you. So they know you would be disciplined very well from that perspective as well. So I'm going to go to Coach John Averett up there. He, he, you know, in your experience with BJ and you know, being in Virginia as well, and Culpeper High School, and we played them when they gave us fits over there in Culpeper, so we had to fight our way out of there, though, I think, uh, between there and Winchester, but John Avery. <laughs> well, BJ, I kind of connected him on two levels. The first, of course, was about the early 70s when he was playing for the Blue Streaks, and the Blue Streaks were kicking butt and taking names. And uh, at that time, if you were in a battlefield district, you got to the regional you're pretty much sure you're going to play somebody from the Valley. 
And uh, we did uh, 72. We did not get that far because the coach at Culpepper screwed up and got upset in the district tournament. But I knew BJ and then kind of followed him, you know, down to Ferrum and then on to East Tennessee. But then when I went to work for Converse, uh, I reconnected with him. Uh, if I would go to, to the Rockets practice facility to work with somebody we had on the contract at Converse, it would, he would, and then I'd see him on the road and it would be like he was my next door neighbor and I probably hadn't seen him in two years. <laughs> and it just was such a pleasure. And I, which one of you guys were talking about his smile. I think oh, that's yeah. one thing I remember the most. Yes. I think the last time I saw him, I don't know whether it was at the Final Four or whether it was in the Robin Center when he was scouting some player. And it was just B.J., uh, the same B.J. that I knew in their early 70s. And the thing that also impressed me is so many mutual friends of mine that you're all on here right now and some other guys were so connected to B.J. Mm -hmm. simply because he was such a down-to-earth guy and if you've had any workings with the NBA as well, I'll tell you real quick, there's some strange characters that have <laughs> And they would come into a facility or you'd work, run into them on the road, and they kind of had to head up their kazoos a little bit, but not BJ. He was the same BGA, the BG, BJ that was playing for the Blue Streaks back in the early 70s. Yeah. No change. Yeah, I mean, again on this on the Zoom call on on, on uh, Sunday, um, you know, how how does that happen though? You guys have been around basketball for many many years, players for many many years. Coach, Coach Sonny Smith talking about BJ was your favorite player. How, I mean, I don't know how that player was built, Charlie. I mean, how, I mean, we grew up the same way. We probably have the same instincts that he had, right? Family and friends, whatever. But he he takes that thing to a whole another level. He I mean, I love basketball, but BJ was in love with basketball. You know what I'm saying? I love playing games, but he's in love with it. And I mean, I've seen him in arenas at Final Fours, staying two hours after meeting everybody in the gym. Uh, B, I'll, I'll see you at the hotel, brother. I'll catch you later. Yeah, I'll catch you later. But he would find me two hours later in the hotel, and we'd talk and say hello. Then somebody come up, and he's going to talk to them, and all his hands and things are going the same way. But, John, how, how has that happened that, you know, I mean, we saw it live. We grew up with it, but it's never changed. No. I mean, how? I mean, I don't understand that. How's net? It's net, no drinking, no smoking, no nothing. Stayed in great shape, even till today. Is in great shape, Brad. You know what I'm talking about. He worked out profusely every day, uh, and it's dumbfounded me that he wrecks and on a bike and gets injured and, and passes away. But I don't quite understand that. But Charlie, how is that possible? That and coaches, how they'll probably find a player like that. It's a, it's a one in a million, right? So I think I think BJ was – I think it was because of his family mostly. I mean, his yeah. dad and his mom were, you know, they're pretty strict. <laughs> to, to be honest, they were pretty strict. And we know that for a fact. Yeah, we know that for a fact. Fact. Mm. I mean well, – let me, let me interrupt no you for a second. No problem. As an outsider, the thing going on was BJ was what went on with you guys that lived on that same street and that same yes. neighborhood. You keep bringing that up, and that's why all three of you or four of you guys are who you are today. Well, thank you, John. Appreciate, appreciate that. Yeah, appreciate but, that. But uh, 
they were strict. And, and, and to, to make that a point, the, how strict they were, and I think the reason why BJ is the way he was, and Ralph will remember this. This is a story that I tell everybody. Mr. Edgar Johnson was one of the biggest men I've ever met as a young boy. He was huge. Yeah. And he had the biggest feet in the world. <laughs> okay? he did, he did. Always, his feet always hurt. And he was walking around. You could see him walking with his feet. You could tell his, his feet hurt. Well, we'd go up to the school to play ball. It's what, around four blocks, <laughs> three blocks from the house? At, at best. Right? At best, yes. All right, we'd go up to the school. And we'd be all playing and everything. And all of a sudden, we hear this whistle. And this whistle would come out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, you see BJ, Brent, I mean, uh, Jimmy, and Doodle, Jimmy, everybody. Hey, we, we got to go. What are you talking about? That's my dad whistling for us to come home. In the middle of a game. <laughs> he dropped the ball. He put the ball down in the middle of a game. I got to go. What was happening? His dad would come outside the house on the porch, whistling. On the porch. And the game is over. No matter what. Now, no now. Now, Charles, this wasn't the whistle that you put in your mouth and blow. No. This was his own lips and voice, and, and this was him. <laughs> I, I probably could do it today, but I mean, I mean, we all remember because they would, I remember, put the ball down, uh, see y'all later, and run home, run home. because the eight kids had to get to the dinner table. Right. So, and, and, and looking back on that, I think that's part of his upbringing and, uh, yeah. and his, his discipline and what made him BJ. You know, it's like, well, I know I better not drink, and my dad might kill me. You know, yeah. I better not do this, because my dad, my, you know, I think that was part of it. And his mom, you know, I love his mom to death. And yeah. uh, it was just the way they were raised. All of them. If you look at them, yeah, you know, yeah. all the whole family is the same, similar. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure what Jimmy does or Greg right, or right. CJ. I mean, uh, Doodle, I don't know what they do. But all I can say well, is I think the upbringing for us, us too, Ralph, you know that. No, I know, I know. You know. We we were the same. All I, I well, we, grew we, up in a in a neighborhood that was disciplined, and this is the way it is. You go home when it's time to go home. The, the, the street light, when that light goes off, it's time to go home. And you better get it. You better get on the porch. You better, or you will get spanked. You'll get better on the porch. You know? So I think that's part of it. Yeah, that's a huge part of it. I mean, I remember that whistle loud and clearly. I mean, he, yeah, he would, like you said, Charlie, he would be on the front porch. He didn't go to the no, sidewalk, no. the front. He'd be on the front porch, off the side of the porch, whistling that whole way. So I'm, I'm going to turn to Matt McCarthy because he had a special summer with, with BJ and his book as well. But, Matt, go ahead and your experience with BJ. But I want to get into those conversations you had all summer long with BJ and the book he wrote and, just kind of feel because you, you have a quote in there from him as well. So the, the great coach, Mike McCarthy. Uh, thanks, Ralph. The, I'm a, a million things are popping in my head as you all talk. And uh, I've been to Myrtle Street. I've been to several houses on Myrtle Street. And I, I can't remember who uh, who lived at 424. BJ. Okay. I, the 424, I, I wrote so many letters. That I, that I remember 424, but I wrote you letters. I didn't write Charlie any letters. He was gone before I got there, yeah. but I, I knew somebody was 424 Myrtle Street. Yeah, I was 442. Uh, he was 424. And, and, and his mom uh, made a point every game I coached at JMU, she came to. Oh, yeah. I don't think she stayed to the game. We weren't very good. I don't <laughs> think she stayed around to watch that mess. 
but uh, but she came to every game to say hello that I coached up at uh, at JMU, uh, no matter where I was at, which was which was just unbelievable. I got a Christmas card from her every year. Yeah. It, it was it was just it was just special. And uh, BJ, like you all said, it didn't matter whether I was coaching or doing television. Uh, he would make a point of showing up wherever I was, and uh, I thought. You know, it was it was all of us. I thought it was these guys, but being on the NBA Zoom thing on Sunday, yep. I can't believe. Well, I can't believe it. But BJ BJ was like that with everybody. It's incredible what he was thought of in in the basketball world. Um, I I I think that took took it to a whole new level. While I while I understood that he was very popular, I'm not sure I understood to what what degree it was. But Ralph, you and I talked yesterday, writing the book, the very best thing to come out of writing this book uh, that I did during the uh, pandemic was reaching out and talking with people. But BJ and I got to talking because I wanted, uh, I wanted this book to feature the players. And, and I called him about the book and he was more excited about the book than I was. And he wanted to tell me stories and he would remind me of stories at East Tennessee state or even other places that I had been and we talked every day for a month. We went back and forth. He did a quote for the book, which I can't thank him enough. And and it, it was it kind of centered around Jim and Sonny, and then it but it also centered around growing up in the Shenandoah Valley, whether it be Woodstock or like you guys yeah. are talking about with Harrisonburg. Uh, but we got to talk every day for a month or so. He, you know, he got the virus and was was he didn't get to go to the to the bubble. Um, and and I think he was kind of you know, other than, than the biking thing, ironically, uh, he was, he was kind of locked in his room, uh, so to speak with the quarantine. And, um, and I'm sure he stayed on the phone all day yeah. with somebody, but we talked for 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes every single day for a month. And just, I, I appreciate that so much now. We were just lucky uh, to have him. I, I appreciated it before, but but now, of course, it's even more special. Uh, Jim was talking about some of the stuff BJ did, and I know Jim and, and Sonny will both remember this play. We're playing it after after the failed experiment of us trying to play him at point guard. We got <laughs> put him up there where he belonged at the shooting guard, and he was all conference. Uh, he he had he had a play in the conference tournament yeah. game. It was down to the end, and and that's when BJ played his best. But he literally, we made a basket. He may have made the basket. He trapped the ball. He deflected the ball up the <laughs> sideline. He chased a guy down and knocked it, knocked it from behind. And then the ball, as it's rolling down the sideline in front of our bench, he comes and steals the basketball. Yeah. It, it, it was one of the most incredible plays I've ever seen. I know Sonny and Jim both remember, I remember the play. Now. But it, but it, it was, it was just so spectacular that it, that it's kind of etched in your mind, and that's who he was. That's who, that's the kind of competitor he was, and I, I'll remember that play for my whole life. And that was in 1977. Oh wow, well, wow. I mean, I mean, what was the quote? I don't know if you can the quote in the book uh, that, that he. That I know you have it in there. I've seen the, the, the front of it with Charles Barkley and the crew, but the quote. I want to, I mean, because he's got so many, you know, ideas and quotes. B is always on, on the move and always and it, talking. But it's um, about this phone call. It's about this this podcast we're on. The relationship I developed 
and lessons I learned while playing for Max Sonny and Jim at ETSU laid the groundwork for me successfully spending the rest of my life in basketball. I count those guys among my best friends to this day. Coach Mack and I in particular have always had a special bond, having both grown up in neighboring small towns in the Shenandoah Valley and being raised with similar values. Exactly what we've been talking about all day. Uh, I figured it would be something like that. I haven't read it yet, but I look forward to doing that. But Shenandoah Valley is a special place, and it's um, you know uh, not a good day for all of us with his passing, but these stories kind of help. Oh. I know Coach Mack, I mean, Sunday helped me. Uh, with all the people on that podcast and on that Zoom call, and the story that I mean, it was two hours on, on that on that call about BJ and people talk. So we had people all over the world, from Hong Kong to Australia to Africa, you know, all over the place with uh, just the same similar feel about this guy. So again, I'm trying to figure out how to keep this legacy going with him. Uh, it, I've been called many, many times and. People want to interview and quotes. I have not done any. I did one in the Harrisonburg paper. It's the only one because I felt like I needed to do that one. But I couldn't post anything on social media. I couldn't talk to many people because I wanted to see Miss Wilhelmina first. Right. You know, her 95th birthday. So I saw her. And you talking about strong? I mean, she was, she broke her shoulder. BJ was coming home this weekend to see her for her birthday. And she was in a chair. It's like, did you hear what happened to me? I said, yes. He said he loved you. And I love him, but she was eating her food and said, it's, it's sad, but I mean, I thought she would be devastated because guess what? BJ was her heart. Right. You know, and I see her, you, you see your guy, BJ, in Africa. Every time I see it, we talk about him and with her heart. So, Jason, I'm going to go to you from a guy that's not from Harrisonburg, Virginia, never seen Harrisonburg. Virginia. What is your opinion about, I mean, you got coaches whirling out on here. You got something you need to in, in, interject with that because I know you're sitting there thinking about 18 million things. So, go to my co host, Jason's on fishing. <laughs> Yeah, well, thanks. I mean, this is just uh, an honor hearing uh, more about BJ and from all of you who grew up with him, who watched him uh, as a player and helped develop him and foster that love of the game of basketball that he was then able to pass on to the current generation of players and future generations. And Ralph, you talk about his legacy. His legacy will live on. I mean, you saw the outpouring of support on social media this week from Trey Young and Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Crawford, Rudy Gay, Jordan Clarkson. I could go on and on. BJ meant so much to so many people and really was beloved. And, uh, you know, I think, Mac, you mentioned it on, on the Zoom call in the NBA family. Everyone felt they had a special relationship with BJ because, because they did. But he made that everyone feel that way. He, whether you met him once or you grew up with him, it felt like family. And and this past week, I spoke to some NBA scouts who got to know him over the, the past decade or so. And they said he was just, he was different. He was always genuine. He was always sincere. He, he never met a stranger. It always felt like family. He always asked you about your family. And a lot of scouts, they said, you know, there's a lot of things to complain about. They'll complain about the travel and the workload and being away from family. He never complained. He always, still, 26 years in working with the Houston Rockets as a scout, would just say, can, can you believe I get paid 
to watch yeah. basketball, to be around this, he appreciated it every single day. And I think that speaks to who he was as, as a person, as a man. And uh, that's definitely a lesson that I'll take away from that is that he found something that made him truly happy and uh, he was paid to do it, but he probably would have paid someone else to do it, to around basketball. You, got, you, you just got to move your hands a little bit. You got to, you know, yeah. get the hand motion. So right. I'm going to just t- turn it over to open. Anybody have no, anything uh, else to say or any story? That, I mean, right. I, everybody said something, but yeah, Charlie. I'll just open it up. Um, yeah, go ahead. Ralph, I'm going to um, like to tell one last story. BJ was younger than me. You know, I'm 68 now. BJ was 65, and you were younger than BJ. Yes. Remember the time we went to Washington, D.C., when B.J. was driving and we went up to some I'm Capitol Center or somewhere up there. I can't remember where we went. We go to watch something. B.J.'s driving. Okay. B.J. And he drives fast. He drives fast. I'm in the back seat. I'm like, okay, I can handle this on the way up here. Fine. We get up there, go to, I think, some games or something was going on. I cannot remember. We get in the car to come home. We're coming out of D.C. I said, B.J., why don't you slow down? I said, what are you talking about? I said, you're driving like a maniac. No, I'm not. Dude, you're driving crazy. No, I'm not. It's okay. We made it back in 90 minutes. <laughs> from D.C., which is a two-hour and a half drive. We made it back in 90 minutes from Washington, D.C. I said, okay, I, I thank you for the ride. Don't, don't invite me again. <laughs> yeah. okay, I'm not getting in the car with you guys. <laughs> no, he, 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 as you said, Mr. Edgar had a big foot. BJ had oh, one too, a heavy foot. So, Dragomania. This kind of became crazy. Well, I just want to say I appreciate all, seeing all these guys, and uh, I thank you for having me on. And uh, BJ was special. Uh, it's hard to talk about BJ, man, um, especially when you know a guy like that dying on a bike. That just doesn't make sense to me. Um, but uh, I want to say hi. Make sure I say hi to everybody. And uh, you know, I don't know. It's just one of those things where we can't explain what happened and why it happened. Just we just got to. Yeah. Yeah. I still never saw him turn the ball over ever. <laughs> Charlie. And he's a great. He's a great babysitter. <laughs> there you go. Another story. He, he was. He was with. He was with my son and daughter more than I was. <laughs> there you go. Another story, Sonny. You might remember him back on BJ recruiting, him. and he might have been playing for us at the time. And I don't know why he didn't become assistant coach in college and recruit because he'd have been the best. And he pulls up in front of Brooks Gymnasium, and I think it was his Volkswagen. I don't know if Sonny bought it for him. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> I would have, but I The front seat was out. Mm-hmm. The front seat was out. There was a guy sitting in the back, and his knee all the way up in the front against the dashboard, and he was sitting in the back. It was George Bell, who was seven foot oh. three. <laughs> I don't know how BJ got him down. He ended up not being any good, but you want to see something that was unbelievable. There's BJ bringing another player in, you know. <laughs> unbelievable. George. George. You remember man. that, Sonny? Oh, yeah. Now I do. Oh. <laughs> hey, I tell you, the memories that, uh, that, that you go back and think about is you say you start pitting this player against a player that you had at another school. I think to myself, when I was trying to think of my most – my favorite player, you know, as a, as a head coach, and I had Chuck person who was a, a dream to coach and play it. And, and 
do I say Chuck Person? I kept coming from Chuck Person over to uh, BJ, and I'd have to say, uh, as a as a head coach, BJ was as the player that I love probably is more than any I ever had. And as as assistant coach, and Charlie already knows this. Charlie Charlie was that guy. I wonder if Charlie remembers me putting him up on top of that car. At, at, at right after we'd won the NIT in Roanoke, there's about three or four thousand people there. Yeah, I, I put he up on a car, and he reached down and gets the trainer, gets the <laughs> trainer on the team up on the car, and they crush the top in. And Frank Mosley, the AD at Auburn, tried to make me pay for the. I mean, at, uh, <laughs> at Virginia Tech, tried to make me pay for the car. <laughs> Somehow we got Wes Argerbright to pay for that, and uh, I don't know if oh, we're going to have to pay for it, Sonny. <laughs> No, I didn't. I did. I did get to cuss uh, Frank Mosley, though. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> good yeah. Great opportunity. Well, one uh, thing we always do here on Center Court is we uh, normally have you know an interview with a guest, and we ask them to pay homage to someone who helped pave the way for their success. And today's episode is obviously very special, bringing all of you together here to pay homage to. BJ Johnson. So before we get out of here, why don't we all just go around and we've shared so many stories and I know there's hundreds more, but uh, it'd be great to hear from each of you, maybe one thing or way that you will remember BJ because his legacy will live on, but what will you remember most about him, about his personality, about who he was as a man? And um, John, do you, do you want to start? Yeah, I think mine is that smile and whenever you would see him as I said earlier he was so down to earth and to be a successful person as he was in the top basketball league in the world mm. he, he never acted like it was like we as I said earlier we like we lived next door to each other in Harrisonburg which we didn't but that was a thing that I appreciated so much he was so kind and down to earth to me and kind of made me feel important when I was very unimportant. <laughs> nice. Charlie? Sorry? Charlie, do you want to uh, share? Uh, BJ was always the same. I mean, you know, he yeah. was just always the same. I mean, I could, I, the last time I saw BJ was at his house. It was a Christmas. We took pictures. I hadn't seen BJ in, I don't know, a couple of years maybe. Then the next time I see BJ, it's like nothing ever changed. Like mm -hmm. we haven't no. even apart. Well said. We, you know, and that's what's the best thing about BJ. We talk and have fun and enjoy ourselves. And I love the guy, and it's really hard to deal with. Yeah, yeah. He must have been great at his job. And the reason I say that, we're sitting at the SEC tournament, and I'm telling him uh, while they're while the players are playing, I said that guy's got a chance. That guy's going to make it, and he would tell me yes or no. And everyone that he said where they were going to go to the pros or not was exactly what he thought, and not what I thought. So mm -hmm. he must have really known what it took to be a professional player. Now we're talking at a time when the SEC probably had eight or nine draft choices, not, not first round, of course, but he would tell me if those, this guy could even play in the G league, 
And the mm. question I would like to ask, I, I did not know that he played in what the, the a form of the G League. Am I right on that? Yes. yes. What what they call it back in those days, Ralph? Uh, I don't remember. Well, they had the USBL, and then they had the uh, CBA. CBA, that's right. The CBA. The CBA. Played in that a little bit, yes, and then USBL. I mean, come on. If there was a basketball <laughs> and, a, and a rim somewhere, I don't care, it was the backside of the bar, and he was going to play. <laughs> well, here's one that you probably haven't heard. He was the player of the year in Ecuador three there years ago. There you go. There you go. Wow. He was? I did not know that. Yeah. So, wow. Brad, go ahead. You, you, I mean, your, your, your last comments and, and vision about BJ Ecuador. I, I didn't know that one either. So yeah. he, he plays anyway. Well, in forty years of knowing the guy, nothing ever changed. I mean, it's like Charlie said. Didn't see him for two years. It was like you were together the day before yesterday. Um, the hardest part about all this is uh, I got married in two thousand three. Uh, right after the final four, which happened to be in New Orleans. And we, my wife, Amy, and I had spent some time with BJ at the final four and told him we were getting married in a couple weeks. He said, I, there's no way I'm going to be able to get there. I got to go here. I got to go there. We showed up on the day we got married, which was a Sunday near Annapolis, Maryland. And who's standing there? BJ. <laughs> had driven all night to get there. Ran into my father-in-law in the men's room. My father-in-law looks at him and goes, you here for the wedding? He goes, yes, sir. <laughs> and that's just who he was. Yeah. He would pop up any given time now. He would pop up on wow. anything. He's, he went with me to my Hall of Fame. I'm like, you coming? But I didn't see him before, but come running through the door. When I give my speech, he comes in. Uh, so, mm -hmm. I mean, he, he was nonstop. Uh, and we all know that. So, mm -hmm. Mac or Coach Allen, you got any last remarks or any words? Well, I better, I better go first because my memory is Mac's memory. <laughs> <laughs> better than mine. And then Sonny's the worst at that. Yeah, but, no question. Know, his smile will always radiate in my memory, always. I never remember him without a smile. He never got tired as a coach. He never got tired on the court. We would run him and run him and run him, and he was fine. He, he was just an unbelievable conditioned athlete. And then, of course, with his, with his great family that you all talked about and their Christian uh, background, you know, I, I think I, I showed – I don't know if Sonny was on the show, but I showed this T-shirt right now from East Tennessee, say, Godspeed. And uh, that's certainly where he is, and I'm sure he's smiling. And, and talking. Absolutely. Coach Mac. Yeah, I, everybody's mentioned his smile. I, I think it's the opposite. He made us smile. You can't talk about him without smiling. You can't talk about BJ without smiling. And how many people in your life, how many people in your life, every time you they walk away, you're in a better mood because you saw them? And BJ was 100% that guy. That's great. Well, I thank you guys for coming. This, you know, has been really good. We probably should do it more. Um, I mean, I can imagine other coaches and we can do this, especially in this pandemic world. But I'm going to turn this. Uh, my daughter used to work at ESPN. So we're going to try to turn this into a mini video series, documenting something that we can keep this legacy alive. I know the NBA is doing a, the task force is putting together some stuff for the family. 
they're trying to figure out what they're doing. I'm going to get with you guys as well. Can we put a banner up in East ETSU's gym? Or I talked to the owner of the Houston Rocket as well the other day. Can we put a banner in the Houston Rocket with BJ's name on it? But it just can't be a banner that says nothing. It's got to have mean something. It's got to have a legacy. So I'm sure we'll get together soon and, and preach that because this will, this will have some impact on that as well. But I thank you guys for coming. Uh, I'll be in touch. And uh, Jason, you got any last remarks because we can take it away. And uh, I'll send you guys this link as well when we get it together. And you can pass around to anybody you wish. Well, we really appreciate all of your time. B.J. Johnson was a very special man, and his legacy will live on. We're all better people for having gotten to spend time with him and get to know him. And uh, I appreciate all of you being open and uh, sharing some of those great memories uh, about your your friend. And I, I know this is a, a hard time, but it's definitely better to celebrate the all, all the good times that you had and, and feel lucky and grateful for that with him because he made the world a, a better place. Absolutely. And Ralph, why don't you end this and, and share one final thought, something that you'll always remember about BJ? Uh, again, I got to make sure it's real. It's not real to me at this point, but um, uh, friend, uh, father, son, husband, dad, uh, the best ever. And my number one friend growing up, uh, you know, I've had two now pass away and BJ one, obviously, and a guy named Frank Tennyson passed away about two or three years ago. But when you lose that, you lose a piece of yourself. But I, I'm from Myrtle Street. I'm from, from Harrisonburg. So one day I'm down, the next day I'm up. But when I wake up, I'm motivated, extremely motivated. I got to do something for this dude, right? I can't let him die. I can't let him leave us. Uh, he, he will never leave us. So I got to keep that legacy alive. Don't know how yet, but stay tuned because I'm going to be out there every day trying to figure it out. So we love him. Uh, special dude, man. Just just one of those special people that you, 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 you once in a lifetime come across. So, again, I thank you guys for sure. I'll send you guys the um, – I'll send you guys the link also on uh, Houston. They will have a, uh, um, a memorial there, but it'll be online. And I'll send you a link. If I get it, I'll pass it out uh, at, the, at the memorial in Houston because we obviously can't be there through the pandemic. And I think they go do something in Harrisonburg as well. So thank you guys again. So it's, uh, it's a tough time, but we'll, we'll keep at it. We'll keep at it. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.